Dissonance Media and the Other Stories presents Step into the abyss of After the Gloaming, a gothic fiction podcast that delves into the depths of human emotion. Unyielding love, revenge, internal struggles, and restless souls await you in nine haunting episodes where dread, fear, and rare glimpses of eerie happiness linger. Dare to listen on your favourite podcatcher? After the gloaming beckons, search now, but beware, innocence will be left behind. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other stories. <laughs> <laughs> As I record this, we have free spots going in our writing short stories mini course at gumroad.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. If you want to get started writing or if you are a writer and want to write some short horror stories, head over there and join the course today. Also, we have new patrons, Ashley Argyle, who can speak to rhinos, Susan McBride, who you may have seen her on the news lately. She is the lovely Susan who has prophesied to bring us world peace and Justin Burroughs, who is prophesied to, minutes later, destroy the world. Join those guys and listen to our latest Patreon-exclusive episode, Nana's Old Magic, over at patreon.com forward slash hawkandcleaver. If you pledge from as little as a dollar a month, you'll get early ad-free access to episodes, bonus-exclusive episodes, and all sorts of special bits and bobs. So, today's episode is To Hear the Minstrel Play, written by John Campbell and Luke Condor. That's me and narrated by Justin Fyde. I could barely see my hands in front of my face, but I knew the house well enough to stumble quietly through the darkness, brushing my feet along the floorboards and running my fingers over the walls. I found the toilet bowl by sound alone, aiming my pee with bat-like sonar, listening for the correct splash. I could have turned on the light, but the thought of Waking my dad made my chest hurt. He'd been up all night talking to his friends again, which meant that he would be tired and quick to anger. He had thousands of friends and would spend hours each night chatting to them in his little studio, ranting to the camera, live streaming to his tribe about music and underground movements, whatever they were. He used to go to work in the daytime like normal parents did, in iron shirts with ties and polished shoes, and would come home and complain about how many hours he'd done, 
but music was always his passion. And now, it was everything. I remember back when he started his channel, just an evening hobby. And then I remember him beaming over his breakfast as he told mom about he was making enough ad money to go full time. We've hit 500,000 subscribers, he once boasted to his new friends. I overheard him from outside the lock studio door, listening in like I sometimes did, holding my breath, scared to disturb him from his work. Yes, dad had many, many thousands of friends, but he didn't know any of their names. He knew my name, but I can't remember the last time he used it. I used to have friends. One of them was called Mom. I didn't shake after I finished peeing, and I definitely didn't flush. Just scrambled back through the gloom, spooked by movements in the shadows. Creeping back along the corridor, I kept myself steady by running my hand along the wall. The old damp wallpaper seemed to squirm under my fingers, the embossed patterns melting under my palms. Outside, a heavy rain hammered the walls and windows. A gust of wind pierced the gaps in the bricks, whistling like an orchestra of panpipes. I passed Dad's studio room first, locked as always, and then I found my bedroom door. A groan shuddered through the house, and I suddenly felt the urge to run inside, duck under the covers, and snuggle my way to safety. But for some reason, I didn't. The studio wasn't the only room off-limits in the old house, with its old floors and old walls and even older doors. Everything was old here. It was shit. I hated it. I'm not allowed to say shit, but it was. I hated that Dad forced us to move here into this gray town with horrible kids and even worse teachers who, as far as I could tell, didn't like me because of the way I spoke. He dragged us here because the house was the birthplace of the recording industry. Right here, in this dingy old house in this shitty, sorry, rubbish town. Someone had figured out how to put sounds into a wax groove and use a needle to play it back. It was kind of like Spotify, but with only one track. Next door to my bedroom was the junk room, always locked, the place where Dad put all the antique stuff from the house that he planned to sell at auction. He never told me what was in there, just that it was too important for my butterfingers. I looked beneath the door a few times to steal a glimpse, but had only ever seen shadows, frayed rags. Through the keyhole I'd seen billowing curtains and little else. Each time I felt my hand trying the door handle as if without my consent. Each time. It was locked. One time, Dad caught me standing outside the junk room, and he exploded, screamed at me to get away from there. Even more so than the studio room, the junk room was forbidden. So why didn't I just go to bed, I wondered. I still wonder. It was late. I was tired, scared, my body all bumpy and coarse. Yet my feet shifted away from the bedroom, leaving the warmth and comfort, luring me to the next door along. Something smelled like the goldfish bowl from the old house when we forgot to clean it. Whatever happened to the goldfish, I thought. I forget since mom. I didn't look through the keyhole this time. I just listened to the whistles of wind behind it. I ran my hands along the surface of the door, felt the splintering grain in the cool brass handle. I turned it, glanced back to the end of the corridor, listening for any movement from my dad's room. There was a click. The junk room door opened. Dad must have unlocked it, I thought, knowing that couldn't have been the case. I stepped into the gloom, certain that I was walking into something I shouldn't be, something forbidden. 
A chill wind brushed my face and ice ran down my spine. Maybe it was excitement. I don't know. I dreamt up all sorts of cool things that might be hidden in the junk. Ancient paintings, mummies, sculptures of men on horses, even those Easter Island heads. But all I saw was dust and cobwebs, boxes and things hidden in rags, lit by the faint moonlight seeping in through the threadbare curtains. From Dad's room, there was a movement. I halted, held my breath. I dared not move a muscle. Terrified, I waited silently for the reassuring snores to resume. My knees trembled, my hairs raised. Yet I continued. The smell was far worse inside. I held my breath as I approached the stacks of mildewing papers, faded photographs, bundles of rotten and stinking rags, piles of paperback books with bent spines, stacks of odd chairs, and a table full of decorative salt shakers. Below the window were roughly cut chunks of wood, an empty wine bottle, and a beaten-up old guitar. Beyond that, the only interesting thing in the cold, dark room was a solitary wooden box. There's nothing here, I muttered. I lied, already moving towards the box. My fingertips fizzed nervously as I approached it, carefully lifting the ornately carved lid to find an intriguing device beneath. I recognized it instantly. Dad had showed me one once, back when he used to talk to me. A phonograph to play wax cylinders, the invention that birthed the music industry, the thing that cut sound from wax. It differed from the ones Dad had showed me, the casing wrapped in fleshy-colored leather, veined with lines of blue and dark red, an alabaster horn, bone white in the glow of the moon. The wax cylinder was already attached. I reached out to touch it and was convinced, absolutely sure, that my fingers would pass right through. They didn't. It was warmer than I thought it should have been, seemed to shudder at my touch. By now, the smell was almost unbearable. I would have pinched my nose if I had control of my hands, but I didn't. Not anymore. Something whined in my ear and my fingers reached automatically for the handle. I tried desperately to fight against it. Dad's room was quiet. There were no snores. I pushed the handle. It moved easily, smoothly, and the cylinder began to rotate and a crackly, high-pitched sawing noise slowly grew into an audible melody. It was a chilling, unnerving sound clearly recorded under the most limited of conditions. It was old and disjointed, dipping my ears in pond water. My eardrums popped and my head felt light. The ripples and the waves stilled. There was something familiar. The sound of a voice. The circle spins, forgotten things, a melancholy gray, and all the children close their eyes to hear the minstrel play. A nursery rhyme? The music grew in volume and intensity, no longer playing through the antique cone, but directly into my skull, whispering the haunting melody into my ear from the inside. I shivered. I felt invisible fingers on my throat. The overpowering smell shifted my attention to the pile of rags in the corner of the room, where it had earlier lain flat, now it raised, lifting, filling out, and slowly taking shape. I saw no face beneath the rags. Its entire body was shrouded. It moved towards me, and I tried to scream, tried to run, but I was stuck. My mouth locked shut with invisible wires. The rag shuddered towards me. I saw cold imprints appear on the floor, but no feet. Moonlight caressed an exposed hand, weathered and dead skin appeared. 
similar in complexion to the leather casing of the phonograph. The moonlight revealed more of its frayed features. A two-white face, whole and sad, opened its gaping mouth. It reached for me. Snapping from my hypnosis, I slammed shut the lid of the box. The music ceased. The song did not. I ran out of the room and into my bedroom, dived into my bed, held my breath, both hands clasped over my mouth. I listened intently as Dad's door opened. I traced his angry steps walking across the corridor. I heard him trying the junk room door handle. Even though I knew I'd left the door wide open in my hurry to escape, I heard the door handle remain stuck. The door locked. Still holding my breath, tears purling into the corners of my eyes, I listened as Dad walked straight past my bedroom and back into his own. I laid in bed with the covers over my head, silent, but for the song. The circle spins, forgotten things, a melancholy gray, and all the children close their eyes to hear the minstrel play. I could smell it there, inches above my face, hidden behind my covers, the ragged thing from the junk room. The next day was a dream, I think. It was as if walking through a half-forgotten memory. The same stupid kids and mean teachers were there, but too far away to care about. They kept their distance, seemed afraid. It didn't matter. I didn't care about them anymore. There was only the song now, and the smell. The circle spins, forgotten things, a melancholy gray. My eyes blurred and my stomach churned with the words. My mind stung of neglect. Something was missing, something lost. And all the children closed their eyes to hear the minstrel play. The needle traced down my back, across my neck, scratching on the wax in my ears, drawing blood as if bringing the taste of the notes. Things happened around me, unpleasant things, cruel things, but I didn't care. I left school early, but got home late, didn't even remember the walk. When I finally arrived, I went straight to the junk room. I didn't question whether it would be locked. I walked into the forbidden darkness, picked up the ornate box, and took it to Dad's studio. I knocked. Son, I'm fucking busy, about to go live. I knocked again. Fuck, there's a pot noodle in the cupboard. One more knock, and he stormed to the door and opened it. I go live in fucking ten minutes. It was the side of the box that stopped in cold. It laid open at my feet. Why don't you say my name anymore, Dad? Where did you get that from? The cylinder began to spin. It's Howie. Mom never forgot my name. What? He backed away. I, I know your name. I, I know. The cylinder circled, and so did my dad, spinning slowly on the spot, feet an inch above the ground, panic locked on his face, bones strained beginning to crack and splinter. I walked into the studio and looked at his computer. A number in the corner of the screen told me that tens of thousands were waiting for the show to start, growing by the second. I hit the go live button 
and saw myself in a little box on the screen. Behind me, my dad was still spinning, eyes now white, an invisible needle running along his body, cutting cloth and flesh, puddling blood on the studio floor. The circle spins. And then there was the ragged thing behind me, forever smiling, its rotting hand resting on my shoulder. Forgotten things. My dad was murmuring as if caught in a painful dream, repeating the words sorry over and over. Not to me, to my mom. A melancholy gray. And the ragged minstrel began to sing. I simply smiled and felt all those eyes on me. So many people, so many friends. And all the children closed their eyes. As the skin and blood and fabric unpeeled from my father like an orange peel under a scalpel, unburdening himself of his own body, I waved at them, my many thousands of friends. And all the children closed their eyes. Somehow, I could feel them waving back before they too began to spin. And all the children closed their eyes to hear the minstrel play. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Other Stories. To Hear the Minstrel Play was written by John Campbell and Luke Condor. That's me. Narrated by Justin Fife, Edited by Carl Hughes. And music by Melon and Tom Robson. And sound effects provided by Zapsplat.com. If you enjoyed this story and you want to check out more of my stuff, you can go to LukeCondor.com. And that's Condor with a K. Or check out my short story collection, Take the Corvus, on Amazon. Or any of my other short stories that are on The Other Stories podcast. Also, check out more of John Campbell's work at archaeodad.com. That's archaeo spelt like archaeologist, archaeodad.com. As a publishing this episode, we have free spots going in a writing short stories mini course available at gumroad.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. Um, so get on that now. We have new patrons Ashley Argyle, who can speak to rhinos, Susan McBride, who you may have seen Susan, she's been on the news lately, she's prophesied to bring us world peace. And Justin Burroughs, who is prophesied to only minutes after the world has finally gotten its world peace to destroy it. Join these three lovely people on our Patreon account. That's patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. There you'll get early ad-free access to regular episodes, bonus exclusive episodes, and all sorts of fun bits and bobs. That's patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver. Until next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.